Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Real spoilers powered by ReviewSTL.com. Warning, the following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen. Example, Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more. Silent Breed is people! I am the father. Get it? Real spoilers. You've been warned. Broadcasting from the lush but not lavish studios located in the basement of the O'Keefe Institute for Advanced Film Snarkitude, this is Real Spoilers, episode 575. That's a, that's a milestone. Sure. Why not? Yeah. That's a palindrome, boys. <laughs> 2001, A Space Odyssey. How about that? Not so, a palindrome. Uh, no. Not, no. <laughs> Let's, uh, can, they turn it, can, this, can we just rename it 2002, A Space Odyssey? <laughs> no, we cannot. It's close enough. Come on. <laughs> so let's go around the virtual table and everyone can introduce themselves. This is Joe. This is Kevin. And this is Tom. As you can probably tell, Kevin's back. Yay. Hey. Kind of. Very, very <laughs> tired, Kevin. Yeah, are you, are you sleepy? Uh, if I just fall asleep in the middle, just let me sleep, all right? Don't wake me up. <laughs> That's not how being a, a newborn parent works. You just wake well, up. I'm, I'm officially, I've got a couple hours here to myself, so whatever happens, happens. <laughs> it's, I've chosen to not sleep into a podcast. You've so. chosen to not sleep and or take a shower. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny. All three of us now work overnights. Yeah, that's, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, two of us are getting paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> One of us is paying for it. Oh. Yes. Yes, he is. So uh, before we dig into the movie, shameless plugs, don't forget we're available on Apple Podcasts while you're there or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And uh, of course, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash real spoilers while you're there like the page and join the group and of course check out our patreon at patreon.com slash real spoilers where for five bucks a month you get all sorts of bonus content and uh, any help out we appreciate that also you could become a real life league of show share member by sharing an episode people who were kind enough to share the episode this week lane levanway susan carlson chris sanders carl clarkson travis tewitt julianne jordan tammy sherman powers chris magic man chris williams uh, Ralph Tribble, Griffin Fox Smith, Jason Weesey, Ron Johnson, Gabriel Lugo, and Brent Smith. So thank you very much, guys, for, for sharing the episode. So, uh, so We got two new reviews. We did. We did get a new review. Two. Uh, we have two. Uh, should we bore people? We're with, on a roll. With both of them? No. <laughs> Maybe we could do one this episode, one next episode. Yeah, let's do that. We It'll get yeah. people in suspense. They're so... <laughs> yeah. 
You want to you want to hear that second review? You better tune in. I feel like Tom should read that read that first one from May sixth. Yeah, considering Joel, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, this this is funny. Oh, did Tom's family member leave him a review? Yeah. No, uh, one of one of my fans from our other podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to, for this one. It's from uh, Barbara G E, and it says a great diversion during scary times. I discovered real spoilers relatively recently via. The Clip Out, Ooh. which is the mm-hmm. Peloton podcast that I do with my wife. Uh, I am the sort of person who enjoys watching movies and discussing them in detail. My husband is not interested in me reliving the movies in details with him. Consequently, both he and I are glad I found this podcast <laughs> where I can listen to discussions of movies in detail. I feel like I'm among a bunch of friends talking about movies. Sometimes I interject to get my point across. Occasionally, it works. All right. <laughs> I always <laughs> I always laugh. I'm going back and watching older movies that they've reviewed, so I can listen to the corresponding podcast. So thank you very much. That's very nice of you. Do you recognize that person? Uh, I do not. I like. Okay. I, but uh, but I'm horrible with names, so I feel bad saying that because sometimes we've we've met a lot of people, and so sometimes people are like, "But you've met me four times." So is she heir to the GE fortune? I don't know. One can o- one can only hope. Man, some of those Peloton people got serious bank. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure whoever uh, whoever started that company, their name was probably not General Electric. It uh, seems, but what well, if it was? Well, seems, it was started by Major Electric, and then they graduated. They got promoted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sergeant so, Electric. Yeah. Yeah. Not I worked be, my way up from the bottom. No, that was my father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Not, but not, but whatever you do, don't don't Google Private Electric because or. Or do you know? I don't. You don't, we don't judge here on real spoilers. Whatever you're into, I don't, the government may come to your door. And... <laughs> so uh, we will save the other review for the next one. Yes. So uh, yeah. Um, but if you'd like your review read, especially if it's not douchey, uh, you should swing <laughs> on by and leave a review for us. So, um, so anyway, 2001. Uh, so well, I guess we should start by what's uh, what's everybody's relationship with this movie? It's uh, d- d- have you had you seen it before? Do you like it? I'll let you go first, Kevin. So this is a movie that I tried to watch several times, like in high school, you know, growing up and trying to, you know, find all the films that you're supposed to watch as a film aficionado. And, sure. go, you know, I used to frequent the blockbuster and Hollywood video and talk to people, get recommendations and all these films. I would fall asleep or turn it off in the first 20 <laughs> minutes so many times. That first 18 to 20 minutes uh-huh. uh, with the dawn of man or whatever it's called is such a snooze. And I'm, you know, this time... Ob- I eventually had seen it uh, once before, but it's a little bit easier nowadays. Like I got through it and it was fine. But um, I would just say for anyone who has ever turned it off, because I'm sure I'm not the only one, like just get through that first part because this is a great movie. But man, oh man, that sequence goes too long, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I so I have a love hate relationship with Kubrick. Uh, I think some of the stuff that he's done is uh, off the charts. I think some other stuff is pretentious crap. Uh, this walks that line of really good it it does of really good to pretentious crap this is a uh this is an artsy movie this is not a straightforward narrative i mean this movie a lot of it uh is i mean it's a lot most of it a majority is not spoken yeah i think it's like 40 pages of dialogue at most 
it's like yeah, 40 minutes, you know, or something, 40 something minutes of, of spoken lines. And uh, a lot of it is just shots, just sequences. And they are mesmerizing and beautiful. And to me, I mean, it's completely captivating. I love it. But I could see for someone that wants a straightforward narrative like this could definitely come off as a little artsy fartsy. I don't even need a straightforward narrative as much as it as much as it just it just felt it felt very pretentious at times. Uh, but once you get, like you said, once you get past the dawn of man and you're starting to get into, there's a lot of horror, like really like sub, uh, subvertly horror stuff going on in this movie that I don't think people kind of pick up on. Well, the audio track with the, the voices, I yeah, mean, the like, voices. The... And then when Hal starts to slow down at the end, yeah, uh, there, it's creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even like, there's a sense of dread, I think because I knew what was going to happen with Hal is like you start to pick up on things that he's doing immediately and you're just like, oh, this is going to get like, (laughs) this is bad. Like you have, we've gotten too far. (laughs) What's interesting is that I think so many so many film and television shows have parodied how yeah right, big time. even if you've never seen this movie before you know because of all the robots whether it's wally whether it's like smart house movies anything that's parodied the evil one-eyed you know glowing light robot like it came from this and so mm-hmm. i think people know what's coming like i watched it with katie who had never seen it and she could sense you know what was coming from it so it's just interesting how ingrained this is in pop culture and even if you haven't seen it you know what it is plus it's rick flair's theme song <laughs> oh the my whole gosh. opening thing is rick that's rick flair would come out to that's his theme song that was his entrance music and i was just sitting i was like oh yeah nice yes they are they are playing rick flair's theme song they only picked it because it's in the public domain <laughs> i know that's right yeah that's the only reason yeah i yeah I, i've talked before on the podcast about how i've never been a big kubrick fan i know that that's sacrilege to so many people but his movies like i can like i can respect them mm-hmm. but i don't particularly enjoy them like they always have kind of left me cold i feel like he always kind of keeps the viewer at arm's length. It's uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it, this is gonna maybe sound counterintuitive given the 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 two directors, but it's it's similar to Wes Anderson in that it regard. Very yes, like, you're absolutely right. Even though they're very different filmmakers, they just they're so meticulous that it there's there's not a lot of room to breathe, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 it just and if you don't get sucked into this very meticulously crafted world. There's not a lot there for you. No. And Wes Anderson is a filmmaker that definitely draws inspiration from Kubrick. And when you look at the symmetry of his shots, just like the symmetry of uh, of uh, Kubrick's, I mean, there's been YouTube videos and compilations comparing the two of them. And um, to me, like, I really eat that stuff up. So, and, and I'm a fan of both those directors. So, yeah, I get it though. If you don't, if you're not a fan of that type of thing, um, it could. Be more wearing on you than it is fascinating but man i just this movie is one that like i don't know to me okay here's here's a quick example so i just watched armageddon for the first time had never seen right. it before really i thought it was awful that is a yeah. terrible movie um it's just so bad i mean all it is is non-stop camera shaking explosions like this is armageddon is the action that's too is boring because there's just too much of it there's you know and, and it's really poorly written so like the palette it's a michael bay movie what did you want 
There's good Michael Bay movies. I mean, I Arm- this is the beginning of that. Yeah, Michael but Bay. but I can see why. Like Michael Bay is known as the explosion guy. I can point to Armageddon. Like <laughs> that movie's insane. <laughs> but so I watched that just a day or two before 2001, and what a palate cleanser 2001 was. Like you got the exact opposite to where you know Michael Bay is just throwing explosions at you, and again the camera's shaking, and I'm just like, and you know, once the ending happened of Armageddon and it started getting interesting, I'm like, okay, I get it. This is kind of cool. <laughs> you mean when the credits roll? Well, but like, oh, right before that. But with this movie, like there's not a lot happening, but there's so much to look at and take in. Like I told Katie, we were an hour into this movie and I'm like, oh my God, we're already an hour in. When I was an hour into Armageddon, I'm like, oh my God, there's an hour and a half left. So it's just interesting how like they're two similar genres. But one when he was an hour in Armageddon, Owen was seven years old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, it really did feel like that. But so like the two space movies, and I watched them close together, and this one has so much less happening, but yet this one's so much more interesting and moved faster, right? So it's just a really weird feeling, like um, the shots, the technical prowess. Like this movie's 1968, I believe, which... It's mm-hmm. 68. Yeah. So like to, to put that in perspective, like when this movie came out, you were watching watching things on television like Bewitched and Andy Griffith. It was the last season of The Monkees. Get Smart had just started. Like, so I, I I always think it's interesting to go back with older movies and kind of compare what was around it in pop culture for some context. Right. And, like, that's how far back in time you're going. And as much as I, you know, as I kind of give Kubrick side-eye sometimes, the movie, to this day, yeah. looks amazing and top-notch and i mean this movie looks like they filmed it in space i mean as much as gravity does right that's what i told again when i watched it with katie and and we're watching these shots that they did and i'm like i'm looking at it and i'm like this movie is over 50 years old and i cannot tell that they are filming it on a soundstage like not even a soundstage like they're using models like that's it's well that's a that's that's a soundstage Well, I guess that's true. But like the, everything is so, you know what I mean. Like, but I get what you're saying. You think models is small work, soundstage is big work. They're not big models and not in sets. And it's crazy when we talked about Blade Runner, is how much everything that came after it owes owes its life to Blade Runner. And I feel like when you're watching this, and then you go back and watch Star Wars, you're like, hmm, there's a lot of inspiration. Oh yeah. And I said, and I use air quotes with inspiration. And by inspiration, I mean stealing uh, that Lucas did when you when that ship first goes on yep. to the space station. Yep. And like Katie's Katie's <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, that's the that's from Star Wars. And I'm like, yeah, it's, so, this, it's the same engines. Isn't it crazy? Like this movie's almost 10 years earlier. And, you know, it's just like when you hear a song and you don't know that they're sampling or, you know, you see these movies that pay homage like like Star Wars does. And you don't understand which one came first. Like the shots were the ships like the opening shot of star wars is that star destroyer that passes by the screen yeah that same shot is in this movie exact same shot so and do you think that's an yeah. homage or do you think george lucas is just lazy i think it's an homage i think i think uh i mean i i watched behind the scenes and i mean lucas is on it and he is talking about how much inspiration he and i mean he was in film school when this came out he said and everyone that was growing up with this movie like it it made them want to be a filmmaker and wanted them to do things and I think clearly he's paying homage. I mean, it's so obvious that I yeah, you, if, he would have been found out a lot sooner if he was just stealing things <laughs> like you know, yeah. willy nilly. So that's a John Carter. Yeah, <laughs> but like, so I just I feel like this. In, as I'm watching it, I realized 
we may never get movies like this anymore. Like this, this is from MGM. So it's like a, it's a big time studio taking a chance on a property that what had, had Kubrick had enough clout at this point to, for them to just be like, here's a blank check. Like, where is he at in his career at this point? Dr. Strangelove. Um, and, uh, what was that other movie? Black and white movie. Um, Lolita. Yeah. So he's got some critical stuff, but nothing that was like well, Strangelove, a monetary success. No, Strangelove was a pretty big hit. Oh, was it? I mean, yeah. I mean, because Strangelove killed a movie that came after it, which is actually really good called Failsafe. And, That's um, a great movie. Yeah, but um, it came out a little bit after um, Strangelove, and their plots are kind of similar ac- accidentally. Oh. And the the problem Failsafe ran into is in the wake of Strangelove, people were laughing at the movie because what played as comedy and Strangelove was now playing serious here, and it was hard for the general public to kind of take it seriously. Oh, wow. And, so, I got um, and then also um, Kubrick had to make some changes in 2001 because, like, originally um the the ships that were on were were carrying nuclear weapons and in 2001 oh. and they were like we, we just did that in strange love and they just felt <laughs> yeah. like it was maybe a bit too much so um so they didn't really i don't know that they ever really addressed what the payload was um on the on the they ship. don't address it until the second one yeah and but originally but it was supposed to be nuclear weapons hmm. i don't even remember is it nuclear weapons in the second one it's been a couple weeks they ago. don't know they're they're just going to like the 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 doctors that are that were given the mission and then sedated right like they, they were just going to like observe the the monolith the new monolith okay yeah totally yeah. okay so um uh so yeah no strange love was was uh was a big was a big deal and okay. Spartacus too. I That's forgot about it. that I, one. I knew there was a a big one that we. So yeah. yeah, so I mean, he had had some stuff, uh, and he's proven himself. Um, but yeah, this this movie is just technically incredible. Going back to the the date of it, nineteen sixty eight. When you see what they pull off, and and how it looks, and like Tom said, looking like it was filmed in space. I mean, it's. It's literally unbelievable, some of these shots where you're just like, how did they do that? And how did they make it look so realistic? Yeah, it's, it's, it is mind boggling at times. And even when they're walking around the ship, you know, like that's, it's insane that they were able to capture like the, the textile nature of what this ship is supposed to feel well, like. The craftsmanship of it. Yeah, like when you, big and, time. And, we'll, and we're going to get into it with the second movie when we get there. But in this first movie, when they're walking around and you see the ship and it feels like a lived in or real spaceship and how they put so much attention to detail. And, you know, you don't go, oh, that looks like a set. Like we've talked about movies that some of the sets don't look as realistic. When he's like, running movie, in that wheel. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah. Yeah, like, right. That's crazy, and that the, and, wheel cost seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars of nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, and they, they did, did they did and, a mystery science theater three thousand the movie for less than that. Yeah, and they destroyed it when it was over. Kubrick destroyed that, all the sets because he didn't want <laughs> he didn't want them to make a sequel, and he didn't want them. The science fiction movies were real. I mean, you've probably run across this. They were real bad about just grabbing props from old sci-fi movies and kind of rebranding them and so he didn't want that to happen so he basically so he destroyed all the sets so they couldn't do that so when you get to 2010 that's they had to rebuild all that and that's also why you don't get the wheel as much of the ship as they rebuilt they were like we're not spending money on that (laughs) yeah makes sense i'm not doing that again 
Yeah. Yes. So the technical part is is absolutely incredible and over 50 years later still stands the test of time. Like the vision that went into this movie and the execution of it, it's undeniable that this is one of the great greatest sci-fi movies ever made and and has influence on everything that has come after like and is still influencing movies today. Oh yeah. And that and being said, a- I still feel like uh it's an easier movie to admire than it is to enjoy. I agree. And, I agree. And, and it's also like it's it uh like we like like Blade Runner, it's it's nothing that we're I don't think we'll ever see again. I mean gravity is probably the closest we ever came. What about to, Interstellar? Yeah, Interstellar, that's true. Interstellar definitely like nailed that that feeling. And on the low budget end, Moon. Moon is, moon I is, think, yeah. the, the closest. I mean, right down to the computer and everything. Sure, I think yeah. Moon is is clearly an homage to to this film. And there's and and talk about the practical effects. I mean, you know, the vehicles and Moon, the sets are miniatures, and they did that all in camera. And the that is a stellar looking movie. So I mean, D- Duncan Jones did an incredible job with with the practical nature and doing it with the the miniatures. And uh, that is another one of my favorite space movies yeah it is eerie how close we are to this at this point yeah i mean also just back it up real quick if you've never seen moon like you really (laughs) what are you doing need to do that it's so good uh but yeah like it's we're in 2020 you know we've got a version of hal in our pockets uh yeah I, i would not be surprised if as i'm watching this i was uh i saw something about did he do something with space force this week, uh, the, they showed uh, a flag. Either and he, way, and yes, he talked either about. Way. Uh, we have, uh, and this is a quote, so you can get mad at me, but I'm quoting <laughs> our president. We have a super duper missile. So, <laughs> well, so, I'll I'll tell you what the uh, space force show comes out on Netflix in two weeks. I know, I'm excited yeah, for they, that. They, they timed that pretty well. But it's like there was a moment where I'm watching this movie where maybe in like fifty to sixty years. We're gonna look back and be like, man, that thank God we had that space force. Like, <laughs> I saw that one. I didn't see well, that one know, coming. You know what's great about these sci-fi movies and the ones that are set in the future? It's always so fantastic to see what they get right and what they don't. Yeah, like the technology. I mean, look at they—they they had FaceTime in this movie. Um, they're using they had, I, they're using like tablets. Yep, they had yeah they had like tablet computer flat screens they did um like private shuttles to outer space like so mm-hmm. pan am is clearly or was an airline yeah and so in this i movie, think one envisioned- of the i think one of the things that they the the thing that they got right the most that i don't think at that point in time anyone had envisioned is the idea of commercial corporate brands in space like oh the, yeah the yeah. idea of i mean pan am was the the major airline of the day like at the time no one could ever envision something like pan am going out of business and that's why they picked it but yeah but pan am they're they're calling home with at&t and there's like there was like a hilton check hilton spot and howard right. johnson like uh, hotels on the space station yeah the fact that as we go into space we're going to take corporate brands with us Oh. Yeah, like that is yeah. spot Absolutely. on. Pepsi or Pepsi or Coke can't wait to get to the moon. Yeah, and we'll look. We'll look at what uh, um, you know. Virgin has been uh, 
Virgin Galactic, you know, with their space uh, exploration and, and more recently and probably going to be the first one to do it is SpaceX, Elon Musk's company. Uh, you know, they're going to privatize space travel and and do all that. So, like, this movie was a little off, but look what's going to happen. And they were pretty darn close with some mm-hmm. stuff. Absolutely. Also, also Kevin, I want to say thank you for naming uh, your son a name and not an equation. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being a normal human being. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Well, so, let's not yeah. go crazy. All right. That, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Don't nope, overstep. he said it. It's it's on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think I just think that we're never – I don't think a big studio is going to take a chance on a movie like this anymore. It's – and it, that's a shame. I mean, we have A24, and I don't know what Searchlight is going to be under the Disney banner. Like, who knows? I feel like those are the two studios that would – maybe take a chance on something like this. But I, it's a shame that we'll never see. I won't say never, but it'll be I, really difficult for a... I feel, to, like, I, mean, I feel like if a big-name director gets enough juice and wants to do something like this, they'd probably let him roll the dice. If Nolan wanted to yeah, make maybe. this movie... That's probably it's true. all contingent on the director. I was going to yeah. say the same thing. When Nolan wants to do something... I mean, look at that Tenet movie has like a 200-and-something million-dollar budget. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's true. crazy that his movies have superhero budgets when they're not superhero <laughs> yeah, movies. Warner Bros. So. is like, are we... Are we putting Batman in this movie? We're like, no, we're not. It's like, no, can we? want a bunch of guys walking around for two hundred million? Okay, but I guess let's dig into the movie itself and just kind of you know go through. So yeah, so the movie opens with uh, the dawn of man, uh, which is uh, you know apes and um, you know claiming their territory. And I think the the big the big thing is is a monolith. This which is like a black. Um, it looks like a kiosk. It, it looks like it looked like a candy bar. That's what yeah. it looks like. Yeah. Uh lands and um an ape kind of comes up to it and touches it and he has this revelation of a tool and he sees these bones on the ground and he picks it up and he realizes he can use that as like a tool or a weapon. Um so an, a a a a rival um clan, I guess, yeah. of of apes show up and try to take the territory and these other apes beat him to death so this movie is uh, cut into pretty much three segments and it's all about the stages of evolution so there's the first act and the second act and then the third crazy one you know that is gets a lot harder to explain but but it's showing how man has evolved so you've got man evolving from apes and uh, then you've got uh, you know man going from earth to space and then you have whatever's going on in the third one and so what I really like and as slow as this sequence is again I think it should just be shorter but what I like is it shows you that you've just got apes hanging around doing their thing and then you have apes that discover tools and the apes that discover the tools are the ones that survive and take over from the other ones uh, and so it's showing you how um, how these beings how humans evolved and also what this movie is saying is that they got their information from something uh, that's not of this world so this monolith right. is the one that's taught them is teaching them this information that is you can't even quantify yeah and it's it's weird like I don't, I don't even feel like the monolith is teaching them like I it's like the monolith kind of like just gives them the juice to start yes. making connections on their own like it, the monolith it's not as like one-to-one as like the monolith is saying use this bone for a tool it's like no it kind of jump starts the the thought process in in the ape and the ape playing with bones is like what if i beat the out of somebody with this and (laughs) and and, but which is important because 
you know, when you finally get out of the Dawn of Man scene, you know, it ends by that very famous shot of him throwing the bone in the air, and then it, you know, it, it does a cut, and you and it and you see the spaceship in, you know, in space, which is a similar shape to the bone, right? And also keep in mind that originally that ship was supposed to be carrying nuclear weapons, so it's supposed to be like as much as we've advanced we're still basically just building giant sticks. Exactly. And that's why this sequence falls into still the first part. Even though man has evolved from ape, there Kubrick's trying to show you the similarities between man and ape. Like you said, they're, they're, we haven't evolved that much. So, But I really like that. And I also like the ambiguity because Kubrick does leave a lot of things up to your own interpretation. And it's a movie that makes you think. This is a movie that when people walked out of it, they were talking about it and thinking about it. And he wouldn't spoon feed it um, in interviews. I went back to try to get more understanding and he really wouldn't give you clear answers. And he intended for you to interpret it. So like you said, Tom, it's not like the tablet uh, reaches out. It's not like the Ten Commandments or whatever, where there's stuff written, written on this tablet saying, hey, beat this guy up with these bones. But no, that's, that's that goes against one of the commandments. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. That's why I was, yeah, that was competing right there, competing products. But that's the thing is we don't know how it works because this, this monolith, right. as we come to find out and not even fully understand, but it operates in a completely different way. Like we don't know the time, the space, the language. We don't know how it operates but the thing is that it does when when it appears it changes man man evolves every time a monolith shows up and so, so i that, took it I, so i took it as the monolith appears right and he, he figures out how to use the weapon we see it again and it's when we see it on the moon that's when like this i mean i i took it as god like that's kind of what i like the monolith is a representation of god where... i see it like that in the third act i don't see yeah. it like that in the second well, i think it's, it's, it's a, i think it's a type of god in that it you know that it it gives them the knowledge or the ability to move forward but it also ultimately gives them free will like he could have used right. that you know like you can use that bone for a lot of things right mm-hmm. you can use it to to kill an animal so you can eat or you could use it to kill a person you know, right. or another ape, and they and they do both, absolutely. And so, yeah. So, like, you know, it's even though it's it's uh it's kind of helping kickstart evolution. It's still it's kind of just kicking over the first domino, and then from that point on, it's it's on you. So before, I, I th- go ahead, Kevin. Well, before we move on from the African plane stuff and get to the moon and all that, how crazy is it that all that stuff was front projected? Like, yeah, I was going to ask that it was not filmed on location. They used front projection. Like, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example like Lucy and Ricky driving in their car with the video in the background that looks fake and cheesy. Like, how on earth does this movie? I mean, it looks like they filmed it on the plane. It does. Kind and of, and l- I think lends, lend, lends credence to the moon landing problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the other thing people because of all the 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 really spectacular effects in the last two thirds of the film is I, I do think people also really overlook be, precisely because it's so good. How good the makeup work is here. I was thinking oh, the yeah. same thing. Like, I mean, for the most part, that ape stuff looks really good, and I mean, they look a, real. They, there, they there's really... a couple shots where you can kind, if you know to look for it, you can kind of see it. But like, but um, but the way again, they move and their mouths and yeah. everything, I mean, the the effects are spectacular. Yeah, it, and 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 you're and you're right. Like that looks like they went and shot it in in the African desert. 
yeah, when we I got to, when we get to the second one, I was like, are those real dolphins? Like, are, they, <laughs> are we just doing this double time? But th- they are real dolphins. They, yeah, that's the real thing. Yeah, you don't have dolphins uh, in your living room. No, I don't. Oh. Uh, but no, like I, I took it as like, okay, so the monolith shows up at the dawn of man, and they give him step one. And right. then when man is able to reach the second monolith, they're just like, okay, you're ready. Like you're ready. To, we're gonna we're gonna set the one off on Jupiter, and then when you get there, you get there. Sure. But like it's it's like a it is like an evolution, but it's up to it's it was up to man to get them. Like, well, once you get there, I'll give you the next spot. But it's up to you to get to the next spot. Yeah, totally. And then when like, we get to, we get to the, third, the, the last to. one. Right, yeah. they could have chosen not to. They could have been like, no, that's not yeah. going to happen. And then I guess they wouldn't have been ready. Like, they gave them the tools, and if they don't use them, then man's not ready for the enlightenment, right. the information. Exactly. But, right. Which is when we get to the end. Yeah, which you is know? that's when, when we get there. You know, there's that very clear, like, imagery of of God there. So, um, but yeah. Oh, see, okay, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we get to the our character. So the character that we meet here... That's is the character from the second movie. It's Roy Schneider, right? Yes. Right, that's the Schneider. character that Roy Schneider plays in okay. the second one. Okay, yeah. and there's no other characters that show up in the second one besides his own character? Well, Hal. And, well, besides Hal. And um, and the guy and the guy from this one. Yeah. Uh, Dave. And then um, there's a character that gets referenced, kind of, sort of, which is Hal references the, the, the person who trained him. Um, Bob Balaban, which is Bob Balaban's character in the second one, but he has a different name than Hal states. But um, yeah. okay, in the book, the the name the, the Bob Balaban's character was supposed to be Indian, I think, and and uh, and it was like and get Fisher Stevens, right? Exactly. <laughs> right, only Fisher Stevens could have done it, <laughs> right? Because it was the eighties, and uh, but it, um, but it was like Chardar or some Charter, something like that, and uh, Chandor, that makes sense. And, and so um, they had they had. So the the name that we get in 2010, I believe, is the same name as what's in the book, but Kubrick had changed it for the film. Always and, changing stuff. Yeah, it's but it's supposed to be the same character. Okay, okay. Well, so do you know that this the the book was actually written at the same time Simul- the movie simultaneously. Was being filmed? Yes. So yeah. what's really interesting is like this movie was based on another story, um, but then it was, I mean, very loosely, like it was a, a very simple, simplistic compared to this one. Um, and then so um, they actually were both working hand in hand. And so when you read the book, you're not getting a literal interpretation because Kubrick was doing his own thing here. Uh, and then is it Arthur Clark C. Clarke? The... Yes. Yeah. So, so he was actually writing it simultaneously. And even though they both worked on the screenplay, play like arthur c clark was doing the book and like interpreting it his own way too so right. it's a really interesting way to work where we're so used to film being adapted from books whereas this book was actually adapted from the film uh and then the but sequel like simultaneously is, like you know what i mean like it's not like a yeah. novelization of the film it's i mean they were they were doing it like you said hand in hand yeah. at the same time and originally 2001 had a lot more dialogue i believe there was narration there was actually an entire score written for the movie that Kubrick scrapped because he, he was using this classical music as a scratch track and he liked it better. And he oh, just, it's the right move, too, because yeah. the, what a difference. Like when you I mean, hand in hand with his cinematography, it's amazing what he can do without words and with the imagery set to that classical music. 
Yeah, and, I've, and then the music is kind of like going back to, you were talking about how like any robot movie now is, you, you kind of know where it's going because of this. Like Sometimes yeah. the, I feel like the movie, the music in this movie hasn't always aged well because it's been used in so many, as, as, a, as a cheesy punchline so many times yeah. that you know, it's not Kubrick's fault. Don't, I mean, talk, it's, it's don't a, talk about Ric Flair like that. It's a, it's. I mean, it's emblematic of of his success that people could use it as a cheap, easy reference point. But yeah. but uh, but I do feel like sometimes the music in this movie feels a little cheesy because it's been exploited so much, and they can't protect it. Right? It's it's in the public domain. Right. So there's right. nothing they can do to stop people. Which probably I mean helped Kubrick out because we don't have to pay a sc- pay for a score. You know, like if, if we got to keep this budget down, but they and, did. They already paid for it. But they oh, already I guess paid that's for true. it. Yeah. Threw it away. <laughs> it's out there. You yeah. can find it. It's out there. Huh. Yeah. So so, so yeah. And, so and, our our main character. Uh, I guess he's not really our main character. Our main character for this piece of the movie at this point, yeah, uh, is called to the moon. They're going to have this conference about um, what they found another monolith, and they're just deciding on what the, what the best course of action is and this is there's they not don't go to the moon do they isn't he on a space station first oh he is on the space you're right the, yeah the circular one yeah yeah um i do like that they have to f- tell him he has to read the directions on how to take a crap in zero gravity <laughs> like yeah there right. were a lot of directions i was like i just yes. hold it at that point like that's seems like a lot of work uh <laughs> so yeah so they they go in the space station and it's kind of it's kind of nasa but it's given a different name at that point i guess yeah, it's given a different name. It's some space council. Yeah. Uh, and they just kind of, we're going to the moon. We have to figure out, there's another, they have this monolith that they found in a crater. Uh, and that's basically all of this scene. Like there's, you don't get a lot of information as to what the monolith is. It's just that they found this thing on the moon uh, and they have to figure out what they're going to do with it. So you're well. They really keep the they keep us in the dark because all they keep talking about is how you know this situation it's classified and you yeah. can't say anything about this right. situation and if people found out about this and but I mean it's really interesting the way they do that because you're like good lord what is happening yeah and it, the, <laughs> they do keep you in the dark probably until the last possible second uh, I guess what they're what they're trying to cover up if I'm not mistaken is I mean there's signs of intelligent life they're trying to basically cover up aliens from the public is that I mean, I Safe guess it's like, say. how else would that have gotten there? Like, yeah. it's it's got no organic material. They can't cut into it. Like, none of their tools work on it. So, like, I, I think they're like, someone else placed this here, but we don't know what it does or why. And so, you know, they it's clearly signed that someone had been there before them, yeah. and they they don't they don't understand. Right. Uh, so our our team gets get to the moon. Uh, they kind of have a there's a photographer who's snapping pictures and uh, I'm assuming that it's our main character you can't really see their faces because Kubrick improvised what a spacesuit would look like in 2000 what was that 99 I think is that right what's that the this this version this part of time what year is this this is 1999 okay uh so that you can't really see their faces but I assume it's the Rob Roy Scheider character that touches the the monolith and then it emits this high pitched sound and that goes on for a very long for longer than like it just yeah he, they he uses sound in this movie to a make lot. you feel very uncomfortable well. yeah yes. you know like there's the whole scene when Dave is out uh, trying to fix 
something on the the craft in 20, 2001, and it's just his breathing. Like that's all you yeah. can hear. I would say God, he uses how, he uses sound effectively, but he also and the uses lack of sound, lack of sound yes. effectively, yeah. which yeah. is a problem in two thousand ten. Where they just forget that whole thing. They're like, no, no, it's fine. When it when something's on fire in space, you can hear the flames crackle. That's well, a, and right. that's just the that's the difference in a Kubrick versus any other director. Absolutely. That's a that's a choice <laughs> yeah. that Kubrick, you know, Kubrick and the guy makes... that directed Time Cop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so they they and that's where that scene ends. It cuts off with this high pitched sound, and I was expecting. You know, we we see enough. Sci- there's not. We don't get a lot of legitimate sci-fi movies right like everything is man fighting an alien or something's coming from space you know like the 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 one with it's um, it's Ryan it's Reynolds a science and... fiction it's a science fiction based action film yes exactly right at this, this point in is time science fiction this yes. was a game changer because science fiction was how comic book movies used to be taken right yeah. they were uh not taken seriously they were cheesy um you know people very uh, adults very pulpy and yeah adults weren't supposed to like them they were for kids and and they were all monsters and aliens had there had there been an an a-level science fiction movie before this i mean before this it was all they were they you know they were saturday matinee b-level movies with ray do you think the day the earth stood still yeah or the war of the worlds that's the close the i think the day the earth stood still is the closest you can get but i still don't think it's an a-level movie it's a it's i mean from a studio intention standpoint, sure, sure. you know what I mean. Like, I mean, it's it's a it's a great movie, but it and but it's definitely a low budget movie. It's and still it, very much in the ray gun saucer, saucer type of like they yeah right. They told a very smart grown up story within the construct right. of the B movie universe, and and uh, that that ain't what we got. No, here. no, this you is know, something. This, this was. This is the one that changed the game and yeah. look at the movies that started coming out after it. I think that's the real tell. Like right. the only the only mo- the only shows and properties that had already existed like Star Trek was uh, a little bit before this um and then uh, I think Doctor Who maybe, but again like it's not it's not on this level, but they were also doing things that were like next level compared to the other stuff, but those two television shows were pretty much it. Yeah, because I mean, immediately before this for space television, you're looking at like Lost. In yeah, space. right, 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 That's right, exactly right. You know, Danger but, Will Robinson. Yeah, so <laughs> we we talked about Blade Runner and how Blade Runner changed the game. Like that was a a science fiction movie where it's not like they don't set it so far in it in the future that, it's, that nothing makes sense. You know, like we're we're not that far with clone, not clones, but like uh, you know, uh, robots and replicants. replicants and things like that. So. Yeah, so then we jump to 20, so 2001. They, that signal, they find out that that monolith is pointing a signal to Jupiter. Right, that sound so that we heard sets was, off. was the, the warning beacon, I guess, that sets off the thing, the, the much larger one uh, right outside Jupiter's orbit. What I'm led to believe here is that there, uh, this is my interpretation of it, but knowing what we know now, having watched these movies, I'm guessing that these monoliths are all over the galaxy and they are trying to lead people to the main one uh, around Jupiter. So uh, once you get to this point, wherever you are, because I mean, it could be 
other moons, other Earths, you know, other planets, I mean, other than Earth. Um, you know, there's a ton of these as we come to find out. Spoiler. So, um, <laughs> well, spoiler for the you next know, one. I'm thinking, <laughs> right, right, right. But I mean, you know, you don't know as you're watching this one. So, uh, but I'm guessing there are a lot of these planted all over the galaxy, solar system, whatever you would call it at, at that level. And uh, they are to lead you to the, the mothership, so to speak. I, I took it as, so once that alarm goes off, that's when the one on they're like okay humans are ready for the next one like we've they've they've reached the they've right. reached the point where we they can pause you know we're not going to help them get there it's like a scavenger hunt basically yeah yeah they um, had to develop the technology and be able to go to the moon and once they have the ability to find that one they're ready for the next evolution exactly exactly um which which kind of you know remind you know we i watched like a what does the ending of this movie mean Mm-hmm. Uh, and people were like, oh, it could be God, it could be aliens, but they're so far advanced that we would look at them as gods, kind of like the Asgardians. Or the uh, end but, of AI, which was intended to be a Kubrick yep. film. Yeah, and then, or even that this is a homage to the Iliad. Well, the Odyssey, yeah. Sure. The Odyssey, sorry, the Odyssey. So much so that Dave's last name is Bowman, mm-hmm. and I guess that's what, like, that's what, who was it? Who was Odysseus. Odysseus probably. was a yeah. was an archer. Um, yeah, I mean it's right there in the title. Clearly, the journey uh, Kubrick drew inspiration from Homer's Odyssey, and obviously adapted from the 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 short story or whatever the book was that they ended up adapting into this. Um, but yeah, I think it's clear that Odyssey in the title, right. the fact that it's a space version of the Odyssey. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so then we go to 2001, and we're introduced to Dave and the rest of the crew, and they're already on the ship, uh, and they're headed to Jupiter. Um, this we, again, this is this is where the horror kind of kicks in. Um, that is very uh, subversive, but it's all there. Like it's you know the, the our two guys are stuck on the ship alone. They don't know really what's going on. The Hal is a little too advanced for my tastes. Well, but and like, this, I, <laughs> this so sets the tone for Alien. When you see this movie, oh, absolutely, the yeah, absolutely. It's like you just feel the the ship from Alien, and them not really know what's going on, and it, yeah. It also reminds me a lot of her. Mm-hmm. Like, I think her definitely drew some inspiration from this. Yeah, any movie that deals with AI, and especially an AI where you're not quite sure if they're getting a little too smart for their own good, <laughs> yeah. and, and think about how they predicted artificial intelligence. I'm not saying they invented yeah. it, but as far as like how like we're dealing with things that you know after this, obviously with terminator continued to deal with it but this question of when will the robots and machines start making decisions where the mission is more important than protecting humanity and humanity is just getting in the way like even though humans created the ai the ai only cares about the mission and so if the humans get in the way of that humans gotta go so this was a <laughs> when, very... they, when, when they kill the other pilot I remember I was seeing that watching. I was like, oh, oh, no. There he goes. And he just like goes flinging <laughs> across the screen. I was right. like, oh, no. Yeah. Was that uh, uh, Frank? Was that his name? Yeah. I think it's that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Frank and Dave, Dave are. Frank the, and Dave are. Yes. They're running the show. And then there's three in hypersleep. And then they, they mention like, oh, and talk about exposition. So 
I was I was noting this to Katie. I'm like, you know, I hate lazy exposition in movies. And this movie, because it's such a smart movie, they show a news report that explains this crew going on this mission and how it works and who the HAL 9000 is and how it operates and how it's a sixth member of the crew. You get all your exposition through a very, very smart news report. And I just love how they don't have to spoon feed it to you. It's not like Frank and Dave like, oh, I sure am glad we have this HAL 9000 who is blah, blah, blah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I love love the way they set it up how we as the audience learn through like we're watching a news report and i don't know i'm i've never been a fan of the news reporters exposition i i think that can be kind of a lazy trope it can be but i I think it's done well well done i think it's done well here especially in a movie that doesn't want to have a lot of dialogue and it's it was if if it had been dialogue instead of a news report it would have felt really forced because these two already know all this yeah don't need to talk Exactly. You know? That's yeah. why you have yeah. to do it. Dave, we should go over our mission notes. Right. And out what we're doing. Oh, right. my gosh. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I really like how they did that. I thought it was smart um, because how else do you pass on so much information with experts who are in the field that don't need to know it? So that was really well done. And then, again, just we get the wheel, which is that $750,000 in $1968 uh, thing That's that so they built. so much money. And it's turning, and they had to time it right. So, like, he's going for a jog around it. Like, imagine a hamster in a wheel. He's doing the same thing. Thing, but it's this gigantic set and it, it looks and feels so realistic the way that it moves. Uh, you never have well, any doubt that he's in space Joe, on this thing. Joe mentioned the Mr. Science Theater 3000 movie, the feature film, and they actually, I mean, they reference it with, oh, yeah. with him, with Mike on a hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, it doesn't Gypsy have like a, a red light? Yeah. Like there, I think there's like a joke with Gypsy as a, there red, is. Like a red light on her yeah. head. Yeah. Yeah, but the one thing we did kind of skip over is when we in two thousand in nineteen ninety nine, when our character is um, on the ship going to the moon, they've got like steward stewardesses, and I thought the uh, one scene attendance. where she's wa- <clears throat> yeah, it's flight. Sorry, it's flight attendants. Well, it was made in sixty eight. There so were they stewardesses were, back then. They were still stewardesses. <laughs> <laughs> but like the way that she's walking, or like I, I have to believe they don't tell you how she can walk in. They show no you gravity. They, yeah, they put on. She puts on those special shoes. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But she does have like this really weird stilted walk and right. she's walking like, you know, when she goes to give the people her food, she has to like walk up the wall and, you know, walk around upside down. And I was like, man, that's that's a hell of a shot. Like, that that's that, is, that's a that's pretty amazing. That is one of the most impressive shots in the movie. And I know that it's not on the scale of like the spaceships and everything, which all look, as we said, just masterful. But the fact that that camera was able to move around as the the thing they built was moving and yeah i mean watching that and and it's like stationary the camera doesn't shake it doesn't move nope. to make you look like oh there's trickery going on it is so it and, is completely and, still and to <laughs> keep in mind the steady cam won't be invented for another decade essentially yeah, no kidding like the yeah. first significant steady cam shot well maybe not quite a decade is i believe it's 19 it's halloween yeah. is it i thought the first significant steady cam shot was rocky running up the steps I think it, I thought it was Halloween, but I don't oh, know. We'll check it. What yeah, year was Rocky? Seventy six. Okay, so Halloween seventy eight. could. It's but that that those two movies are the two like yeah big you know. But they um, used computers for a lot of this, which was which is crazy. Again, thinking back then, but they would actually use computer programming to move the camera so that they could replicate the movements for different shots and to have it all be perfect. You know, these huge computers that they would program these movements into. Like the technology in this movie to to make this, it's it is really unbelievable to think what they did back then. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so how um, 
has more of the mission than even our pilots have. And the pilots, like something goes wrong, uh, like something's broken. It's their communication and- device, right? Their satellite, the big one. So basically, Hal says, hey, David, in three days, our communications are all going to fail. So, uh, you know, it's not going to happen for three days. That's a very accurate number. But, you know, it's got to be fixed before that or else we'll be without it completely. And so that's when he sends them out to get it. And they start poking around and they're like, "Uh, I don't see any problem with the communications device, Hal. Right. And he's like, nope, it's there. He's like, oh, that that is strange. Um, Yeah, it's totally (laughs) broken. (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah so then they frank and dave kind of have like a powwow inside of an escape pod and they turn off the sound so hal can't hear him but they don't realize that hal has become so advanced that he can read their lips oh and which is the audience you're just yelling at him because like oh no they're in the window and it's (laughs) like like, back up yeah (laughs) just back up so Hal's like, F this noise. Uh, I'm killing everybody. But you know what's cool about the shot too, though, is like, like Kubrick lets them have the entire conversation almost before they cut to Hal. And you see from outside the pod them just moving their mouth without words. Yeah. And Hal is going back and forth between the two reading their lips. But they, they let you have they let them have that whole conversation first so that it's not like completely obvious. And I, I really like that how you have to either figure it out or if you didn't, you're like, oh, crap. Right. Uh, so yeah, so Dave goes out again to check on the thing, uh, and he kills Dave. He cuts off. No, Frank. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Frank, Frank is Frank, going Frank. to, they he, basically Hal says, uh, we, since you don't know what's wrong with it and I can't see what is wrong with it, but we know it's going to fail. The best method is to just put it in there and let it fail. And then we can troubleshoot it once it's broken. So Frank is going to go deliver it back. Uh, but as he leaves his little shuttle pod thing, it starts turning towards him and like right. they don't even show it. But then they cut to like him flying in the, the it's pod. kind of cartoonish <laughs> like the but it, you're just like, what's what's happening? Like it's ominous, though. I like the way it turns <clears throat> towards him. And then all of a sudden it's flinging him like across right. outer space. <laughs> and you just see him go crazy. I think it's more space. ominous. Like if it just started bolting for him and they ramped up with the music, it, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of cool the way they hit you with it, where they just cut to it. And all of a sudden, I mean, you knew it was ominous by the way it turned towards him. And then you just see him flying. Like, I don't know. Right. I like it. No, no. I, I, I But there, just the way he's moving a little fast. It, yeah, it was a little <laughs> herky jerky. Like, I, yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, there he goes. Uh, so Dave takes off and goes out after him and. uh uses the little clamps and grabs the body and he brings him back and he, this is where he tries to get in and Hal's like, no, I'm sorry. You know, that's the infamous live. I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that. So Dave has to like f- let the body go and figure out a way to get into back into the spaceship. Uh, Without a helmet. He w- he went so fast to try to save right. Frank, not knowing if you know Frank was all right or not. Like he forgot his helmet. So he has no way to travel outside the spaceship. Right. Uh, so he's got, you know, he he gets himself back into the back into the ship and he realizes that this was actually kind of it was kind of heartbreaking where Hal realizes that he's messed up, which, again, too much, too much for I, Hal. I know like, I've made some Hal, bad decisions lately, <laughs> yeah. but I'm better now. <laughs> it's like talking to your ex when he's just like, I know I messed up, but I'm much better now. But, you know, and he's even, a very, very smart computer and he knows exactly. Remember when they question, like, do they really have emotions or not? And they, it's very, um, you know, they leave it open to like they never say whether they do. And even in the second one, the people that create them are like, yeah, I don't really even know. But he's clearly saying what he computes he needs to say at this point. 
And and Dave said, "No, we're done here." And pulls his plug. Like, yeah, just starts. And this was this is a very eerie scene where he's pulling like memory cards and memory banks, and he's uh, like Dave, like Hal's devolving. trying to keep up with him. Yeah, and he's singing yeah, and the his Daisy voice song. Is getting, his voice is getting slower and gravelly, you know, more um, like distorted. He's pulling his uh, memory out, so he can't he can't do as much. So his like he's slower at functioning. And right. the way that they do that, like who God, who would have thought other than Kubrick to have him sing this Daisy song? Like it's such a random thing. I don't think it's random. I think that there was a scientist that was trying to teach a computer to sing, and that's the song he chose. And 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 he was referencing back to that, yeah. Okay, well, I and not even that. I just mean, and so it's like that's an early, that's an early, early computer memory. But I mean, the way that they chose to do that and slow it down like that and make it creepy and ominous, like it just fits so well with that scene. It does because yeah. it's, it's supposed to be like one of his earliest memories as he's pulling memory. It's it's yeah. like a, it's like a brain, right? Like the the things you. As 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 a brain, and I don't even know if we knew this sort of stuff yet. But like when you get dementia, you know the things that go last are your oldest memories, right? Wow. And right, and that's what you were seeing is one of one of his first memories would be singing this song, and then that's what goes away. I also think it's something that you still see utilized today, which is the non creepy song played as juxtaposition <laughs> yeah. to create creepiness you know true yes that you is know? that has definitely become a new th- the new thing yeah. in the last two, I mean, th- yeah five years i'm so sick of sleepy covers and this is pretty much invented i remember when they first came out like the first couple trailers and you're like oh that's pretty cool and then now every trailer has a sleepy cover and you're just oh it's <laughs> yeah. you want to pull your hair out right i don't want to do it i, I well and i have plenty of it as you can see i did i did yeah, like, I, yeah. 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 thanks sleepy guess. covers <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, So Dave realizes. So while Dave is out trying to save Frank, uh, Hal kills everybody else in the ship. He turns off all of the life support. So he kills every other member of the ship. Uh, So now it's just up to. And they're closing in on Jupiter and they find this uh, massive monolith. Like it's it's they can't describe how big it is. Um, And Frank kind of not Frank. Dave gets like sucked into it. And this is if you're if you ever watch this movie while you're tripping, and people this used will to blow do, your and mind. that's what people used to do. They used to get stoned. I don't blame them. And go and like lay at the foot of the screen and like watch it. Yeah, like this would blow your mind. It's a big acid movie. At this point, I mean, and and for a while now, there's hardly been any speaking other than Hal trying to reason with David. But once, like, this scene is just no dialogue, and it's like shots close up of David's face, and he's just he's is it going his face towards or Jupiter. Just yeah it's like close up and then and then this is where you get that long sequence like the last third of the movie is him and all the colors changing and his eyeballs and all that crazy stuff and i i was like how did they do that and it's incredible it's like long exposure takes of these colors like they cut a slit and a wall and they moved uh left to right all these different colors behind the slit and they did long exposure takes of it and they were on like a dolly and they moved towards the wall with these colors huh. and I mean it's all manual right it's like they didn't have CG they didn't have the computers so this is a practical effect of camera work and long exposure takes like someone had to just invent how to make all these weird visuals and it's that's, weird that's, that's insane so much of this like there's there's a chunk of this movie where you're you're basically like 
watching a kaleidoscope. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. and, yeah, exactly. And I've, I, you know, and I, I complained about that with Transformers. Like they would get in too tight on the robots <laughs> yeah. transforming, and you would lose the magic of watching them transform. Right? Like that was part of what makes Transformers cool is that it's the money. Is shot. that it actually works? Right? And uh, and when they would just get in with a tight shot it just like I said you might as well have been watching a kaleidoscope we're here like it's really you're literally watching one and but it it works in a way that it doesn't in the hands of a lesser director which is fascinating <laughs> yeah. well and it evokes this is exactly what Kubrick was trying to do because again he doesn't explain it the movie doesn't explain it there's you're supposed to be interpreting this and feeling it and he wants you to go on a ride on a journey and experience this movie and especially this last part of it so it's like whatever this evokes is i mean if this movie evokes different emotions for you and you're confused and you're wondering what happened and you talk about it like it's doing its job and it's going to hit different people differently, right? Some people are going to say, well, that was weird or that was stupid. And some people are going to say that was amazing. And it's like whatever journey you go on, this movie's letting you decide what you're feeling. It's so weird that you say that. Like I was thinking the same thing and I was, you know, thinking that that's the in the hands of a masterful filmmaker. Like we praise that kind of thing where it's like I don't need to be beat over the head with what your message is trying to say. And then we look at like something like BVS where it's the exact same argument, right? Where like some, how so? Well, like we say that anybody can walk away from 2001 and think different things. And that's okay, and that's what he was intending. But you look at something like BVS and I would say it's I would say that thing that movie's probably split 70/30 where people walk out thinking different things but it's not okay. It's interesting to to cuz I've been uh, grappling with this as well like in terms of like there are things in this movie that you're not told, right? Yeah. And yeah. and uh but you walk away from this movie definitely feeling like I wasn't told certain things, but the information is there, but I was not told that. Sure. Even at the end, when it's super crazy off the rails and it's trying to be, you know, profound and existential, you still feel like if I can unravel this, it will make sense to me. You you don't walk away saying they failed to tell me something. This is a bad movie. You know, yeah, you know, that's right. very and, true. And and it's like and it's it's really interesting to try and figure out like like. What's the difference? At what point do you decide this movie knows it just didn't tell, but it's there if you dig and think, and as opposed to this movie failed to to tell its full story? Because we're going to get yeah. to 2010 in the next episode, and 2010 answers a bunch of questions, <laughs> yeah, right? It, it starts yeah. off yeah. the first things it does. And, is it's like, hey, here's all this information, and, and it's like, and as much as you're like, oh, cool, now I know. Like once you do know, you're like. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh. When I got to 2010 and it starts feeding the information, I got the kind of off putting feeling where I'm like, oh, I didn't really need those answers. Thank you, though. Right. Yeah, right. Like, totally. Yeah, yeah I'm exactly. good. Because it, it, it'll be interesting because it's not a bad movie, but it's certainly no. not this. Mm, uh, well, that's factually accurate. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you are right. So the last part of this movie is once he gets there, Dave kind of ends up in like this weird uh room 
And we see like three different versions of Dave. We see the Dave that we've seen a little bit older. Uh, he's got some makeup on, whereas he's grizzled a little bit. Then we see um, a much older Dave sitting, eating some dinner. And then we see a debt, like an old man Death on his bed. deathbed, Dave. So um, we should mention that he actually went through the monolith. So this monolith, yeah, I think, right. was like two kilometers wide, they say, in the next movie. Yes. So we're used to seeing a monolith that's like 10, 12 foot tall or however big it is. And this is two kilometers. So it's gigantic. And all the colors and everything, his flying, he's flying through it and learning, absorbing, you know, whatever this evolution is, he's going through it. And then abruptly, like they don't tell you what happens or how the transition is he ends up in this very sterile room very clean uh from doing some research i found out that it's decorated with this period of enlightenment which i think is a very it's very um, poignant it's a help yeah yeah, it's a helpful interpretation of what's happening because this is the evolution of man as we've said and now he is being enlightened to certain things about the universe and the world so you're to take that from the decorations in the room the artwork that's on the walls and then yeah they don't explain it but like it appears as though he is existing at different points of time simultaneously right. and actually seeing himself age and seeing himself at different points of time which is like the way that i interpreted it was that these beings whoever created these monoliths whatever whoever is the godlike figure that we're calling them this other being or entity um they just they operate on a different plane to where we're not supposed to understand it because there's no way our human mind could comprehend, you know, they're on a different level. And so he is now being enlightened with this type of thing. And he doesn't even know how to interpret, but some, but he is existing in all these times and forms. And, um, and it also, to me, it kind of seemed like at the end, it, it comes full circle. Like he's, well, I think he, he, in a way, yes. So I, the way I interpreted it was, um, old man sitting there eating dinner. He knocks over the, the glass of wine and initially, I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Like, you could t- you could interpret that as, like, the glass is the human body and the the liquid is the soul, kind of. Like, if, if we're going mm. down this – where, like, the, the glass will break, right? You're, that glass is going to give out if you put enough pressure on it and over time. But your soul will is constantly being shaped. Like, it'll, it'll form to whatever you mm. put it into. And yeah. then when you get to the old the old man on his deathbed, I mean that's Michelangelo, like that's that's David, that's the that's the creation where he's, you know, pointing to God, and we've got old man Dave pointing to the monolith in a very similar fashion that he's point that who is that? It's God and who? Well, that Michelangelo well, painted. That's the painting on the Sistine Chapel. Yes. And Adam, yeah, and that's why I was saying that I feel like in this end of the movie, that's the most godlike they make the monolith appear because he's reaching out to the monolith. And so I interpret it as monolith, this other race, entity, whatever, is God in, in some form. And he is giving, you know, Dave, the Adam figure, the information, the the whatever to go forth. And, and now and now he's he, sending his son. Well, now he's yeah, he's a baby. He's this baby. But but he's this uh, evolution of the human race, and he's sending him to Earth to then uh, be the next step, the next. Uh, you he's know, Superman. The super. He's the Supermensch, right? Is <laughs> the Ubermensch. The Ubermensch. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, it's a lot of the Superman mythology. I mean, even that visual they use in seventy eight Superman, right? Like, oh yeah, when he's is. I mean, there's a lot of that that's based they, on this well. Mythology. Okay, they tone it. They don't do a lot of the Superman stuff, the God stuff in the Richard Donner one. 
they do it a lot in the Zack Snyder one, but not so much in Richard Donner. Yeah, but but, but there's still some visuals that are similar. Yes, but the um, but yeah, the Ubermensch. I think a lot of this movie is also based on that philosophy because I was reading that the song, you know, the theme, the Ric Flair theme, is actually <laughs> based on these same principles, the same philosophy. Like it's the song is like adapted from this same work. The um, Friedrich Nietzsche Nietzsche yeah, it, yeah. Uh, um, and so that song even the choice of that song and that that's bookends this movie it's in the beginning and it's at the end oh, yeah. here and that song is uh, interpreted from the works of Nietzsche so that is why you know and then of course the vision of the Ubermensch and all that so uh, aside from the Odyssey that's another work that if you want to read more about it and how Kubrick shaped the story it was another big influence that baby yeah, Ric Flair. <laughs> the baby's Ric Flair being sent to Earth. There you go. Uh, yeah, and it's so yeah. So that's the we get a weird CG baby that kind of has Dave's face. Like if you not it's, CG, it's, I mean, I practical. guess that's yeah, practical effects. It's Dave's face on this baby that's a little weird, uh, and it's just kind of floating outside of Earth's atmosphere. And that's kind of where this one ends. But he's Superman. That's Superman going to Earth. That's, like, that is, that's... that's exactly what it is. The allegory with Superman is you see him three times, right? Like you see Superman as a baby, as a child, and then or as a baby, kind of like a, a preteen to a teenager, then a, again at 30. 33, right? But like 33, yeah. Sending him from Krypton to Earth, that's Moses to the... That's Moses. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's all that stuff. But yeah, and that's... I, I got to... Like I said, I have a very interesting relationship with Kubrick and I think like visually this is a stunning movie like that I will absolutely agree with that I it's you know like I said it threads that needle where it can get a little I honestly I don't think you even need the dawn of man that it's yeah yeah that one I think a lot of people especially younger people like when I was a teen and trying to get into this movie I think you're gonna lose a lot of people because that sequence is so long and drawn out and I get what they're trying to say with it I just think it's a little long a little lengthy I mean in retrospect I guess now that we understand what they're doing I just for me it's hard to get through yeah I agree it's it's unneeded in my opinion it looks great but I think it's unneeded yeah, I mean, I'm watching it now for this review, it brought back all those memories. I'm like, I remember trying to watch this and falling asleep during it. I remember watching it and turning it off, like as a teen. It, you know, it brought back all those memories from like, God, I remember I could not get into this movie and everyone says it's so great, but like I kept turning it off. Um, and so, yeah, uh, but overall, it is an amazing looking movie. And, you know, it's weird. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of those. I know it's sacrilege, like Tom said, for these pretentious directors like a Terrence Malick or a Sofia Coppola, where they just point the camera at art and just like just look at it without a lot going on. Like yeah. to me, I'm not a huge fan of that. And and again, it goes against what a lot of the you know film lovers what they eat up. But this movie doesn't do that to me. I don't know why. To me, there's enough here that I think it's saying a lot and it's really interesting. Where I feel like in some of those other movies, they're just pointing the camera and it may look pretty, but like you're you're making it all up where I feel like Kubrick is giving you so much information without saying anything here. I think the difference is that this is a very, this started as a very dense story with a lot of narrative to it. And Mm -hmm. which is why there's a novel that, you know, that, that explains a bunch that some people say you can't always look at that as like an explanation because even though they they were on parallel tracks at some point they diverged which i think is is a fair thing to to, right. to say and kubrick says and, that yeah. kubrick in interview says that and I, but i but i also think that 
um, because it began life with that, it, he's got this this very strong narrative basis, and he just keeps pulling away from it. I mean, this is really ultimately like how much can you distill from the narrative structure mm-hmm. and still have a narrative? And I like yeah. I, I don't think you could distill much more. But it's but it but that's why I think ultimately you feel or you don't feel like he didn't fully tell you a story or he forgot to explain things or there were things he didn't have answers for because because there were and even if he's not explaining it there are other elements of the film that are informed by that narrative that allow it to exist and so it still maintains a logic and cohesion that it wouldn't uh you know if it was just let's show some pretty lights <laughs> yeah and and i'll say to other people like me like if you tried to watch this movie as a younger person as a teen or whatever uh and you couldn't get through it because you thought it was a snooze fest watch it now watch it as you're a little bit older because again like i just watched armageddon and i thought it was so boring and this movie's it's such a quieter movie with with not a lot going on not a lot of dialogue um you know and a lot of these just beautiful still shots and to me this was way more interesting than an action movie like armageddon so i think as you get older and your taste evolve and change like give this movie a shot because it really is phenomenal yeah I, I it's hard to disagree with that yeah I agree I've I've watched this movie a bunch of times in my life and I will say now at almost 50 this was the most I've enjoyed <laughs> yeah. um same and here and it's still I I still feel like it keeps me at arm's length and it still does a lot of the things about Kubrick that I don't like and I will also say that it's still an easier movie to admire than it is to enjoy the yeah. only part I really feel like I truly enjoyed was that middle sequence with the battle between Dave and Hal was great um and the rest of it was more just a techno a technological marvel that I appreciate, but it's hard. It's not the easiest. I can thing see to it. Like be like, let's stare. Yeah. At and us. you know, like you I know? I compare it to. I think Blade Runner is the same way. I think Blade Runner is yeah a great looking. So it's it's a piece of that is a piece of art where the story is kind of like Ew. you know yeah. And when we get into the second one. I felt like they were going to try to aliens it up. Like it immediately felt like this one feels, I, I thought you were going full, like full aliens. I, I like it. Like I really was surprised that the second one stayed as, as intellectually motivated yeah, as it did. I agree. I was not anticipating that. No, so, no, but, uh, but I guess that's it for this one. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Cause we've got a whole episode to talk about that one. So let's go around the table and everyone can say where to find them. This is Joe. You can follow me on the Twitter at Joey butts, B U T T S 21. This is Kevin. Follow me on Twitter at Kevin R bracket. And this is Tom. You can follow me on Twitter at Roger Kubert or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Tom O'Keefe. Find the show online, facebook.com slash real spoilers while you're there. Like the page and join the group, which is called the League of Show Sharers. And then, of course, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash real spoilers. So uh, that's it for this one. Coming up on the next one, we will tackle uh, a misbegotten sequel, 2010, The Year We Make Contact. What a horrible title. Why is it not just <laughs> called 2010 Odyssey 2? I or the next Odyssey. Why I, on earth did they I do this? I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what you have to look forward to. Uh, until next time, Cooper was Murphy's ghost.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.